0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of GabFestology. The topic of today's GabFest will be reopening across America. As fatigue from quarantine and damage to the economy begins to set in, local municipalities are faced with the difficult decision of gauging when to return to normalcy.
1: Before we start, a quick update on how West Hartford is responding to COVID 19. There is a new rapid testing site in the Price Plaza on New Britain Avenue, Docs Urgent Care, which accepts people without insurance please register ahead by visiting the website www.docsmedicalgroup.com slash test now. That's d-o-c-s medicalgroup.com slash test now.
2: We're going to start off today's GabFest by looking particularly at the teenage demographic and how it collectively is dealing with the effects of quarantine.
3: I want to first talk about the average teenager. From my experience, I don't feel the average teenager is willing to sacrifice their summer for the United health of the nation. Personally, I've seen many groups of friends, going down and traveling to beaches together, not wearing masks and not social distancing. I've even seen people sleeping over at people's houses with no safety precautions.
1: Yeah, I think it's a big problem, obviously, at our age particularly, you can just go on Instagram, you can see that countless of beach posts, like you said, are people hanging out together um, and socializing. And obviously that's a huge problem in terms of expanding the exposure of COVID-19 to different people.
3: Absolutely. And I think that the repercussions for the teenagers, not necessarily following all of the safety precautions, will lead and have led to many elderly people getting sick as many teenagers have grandparents and it's easily spread uh, through personal contact. And I think that's very dangerous, especially when we're looking at reopening the country.
0: I agree completely, Jet. The Yeah, that point is completely valid. And I think part of it has to play into how, as teenagers, we somewhat feel invincible, and many of our peers most likely share the sentiment. And COVID is very blown up by the media and other sources, so it may seem a bit bigger than the world. It might seem a bit out of touch, and the mentality may be, well, yes, it's a thing. I know it exists, but I'm not going to get it because everyone talks about it, but I've never heard of anyone in my immediate family getting it.
1: And I think another important factor in this is that there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic, that are passing this disease around to people around them in their family and to elderly people in particular. And so you can be a teenager who is going about your day and you feel perfectly fine and healthy, you have no symptoms, and yet you're going around exposing yourself to society and transmitting this disease, which can be really detrimental to the people around you. And I think a lot of people don't really pay attention to that fact. They just look at themselves and think, okay, I'm feeling fine. So I'm just going to go about my day.
2: That point was well brought up because a Yale study like just now, like just today released, it said that around uh, just under 50% of COVID transmissions are done by pre-symptomatic, which are people who have it, but aren't feeling the full effect of the symptoms or asymptomatic people. And those are really the people who who are passing these diseases on. So it's like, People need to realize that while they might not overtly feel the effects of COVID-19, they still have to act like they have the virus and they have to act like they are transmissible if they really want to bring any sort of halt to the spread.
3: I agree with all of those points, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. There are some people, as the average teenage mind has displayed, that they feel that the elderly should just stay inside and not come out and that everybody else should be able to exercise their free will and, you know, resume daily activities. Uh, What do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah, I actually have some facts to back that up. So in California, 32.8% of the cases of coronavirus contracted were from people between 18 to 34. And that was the biggest age range of people affected by coronavirus. And so you see that a lot of these elderly people are, in fact, staying at home. And it's the young people that are going out and partying and going to bars that are actually getting infected. Um, In a recent article published today by The Hill, um, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that the average case age has dropped by 15 years. So that means a lot of younger people are going about and living their lives normally now. And you can see the effect that's had on the number of cases with their age group.
0: I agree completely. And that data makes perfect sense when you think about how that applies to the risk of the elderly populations, because teenagers are the ones who are working jobs at grocery stores, are the ones who are working jobs in retail. And because of that, any kind or a majority of goods that the elderly community would be looking for would have to interact with teens. And if teenage COVID rates are increasing, it's important to minimize that rather than just go for a mentality in which you say, the old people this is their problem not ours.
3: Those are all very valid points but playing devil's advocate again there have been proposed ideas um, and other countries have ad- uh, adopted this policy such as Sweden going for herd immunity you know the elderly would stay home, stay protected that they like they have been doing but the younger people would continue to you know resume daily activities, in hopes that herd immunity will be achieved much sooner than a vaccine so the elderly can resume their activities. What do you guys think on that?
1: I think that is very dangerous in such a large country as the United States. I mean, we have 300 million people in our country and I don't know how much long it's going to take to establish herd immunity among all the citizens. Now, even if the elderly people stay home, they're still coming in contact, or they have to come in contact with some way with the rest of civilization, whether it's through going out and shopping for groceries, or even if it's you know us three going out and shopping for them like we've done through our grocery services. We're still coming in contact some way with them. And if we are going out in society and partying and getting in contact with other people, we could potentially be bringing this virus to the elderly people. That is obviously a terrible thing to do.
2: It's also hard to bank on an idea of herd immunity that hasn't even been corroborated by most like health organizations. We don't know for sure that you cannot get coronavirus twice. It's like right. we and we don't know that you develop this immunity. Now, our a study of viruses in the past will have suggested suggest that we we don't know one hundred percent. So, in the off chance that we can't develop this natural immunity to the virus, I think would be very dangerous to bank completely on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much we still don't know about this virus. I mean, I think this past weekend, a group of scientists came together and they concluded that this, the coronavirus was actually an airborne disease. And so it can be transmitted through the air and particles, which we hadn't known before. And so obviously that presents a much bigger danger now. So there's still so much to be learned. And while we're not When we're not completely 100% sure on the way this virus behaves, I think it's dangerous to be making assumptions about herd immunity and things such that. And
0: And to talk about why herd immunity might be an issue, I'm looking at an article by Business Insider published on July 4th. That says that a new strain of coronavirus is actually more infectious than the previous, and that shows that the virus is mutating, and there is the possibility for it to stray far enough from the original virus to the point where you can get sick from it again, because viruses are known for being extremely apt at mutating. Right.
3: I agree. Those all are, you know, you know, serious concerns. However, America. Um, as, as a nation did act very poorly to the situation. We thought originally it was just going to stay in China. We were naive as to think it would not cross uh, nation borders. However, when it did come uh, to the United States, we did not act uh, with haste. We sort of let it spread and that is our fault, which, and as well, we are not particularly good with enforcing a strict lockdown, right? That's number one. We cannot force people to stay at home. We don't have a powerful we don't have you know the power as we are a democracy, and people will demand free will, as you know, seen evidently across the country. Number two, people in in many states, um, such as Florida, California, right? People are not wearing masks outside. They can mandate it, sure but it's not being done. People are going to the beaches, even in Connecticut where our numbers are decreasing, people are not wearing masks. So that's number two. Number three, the only other option at this point that I see is that we have to keep the elderly protected at all costs, right? But we cannot force the younger generations to abide by these same rules. So what is, how are we to proceed next?
0: so i actually have an interesting point to make on why teenagers are the main people who are breaking quarantine and according to tamar mendelson who is a director at john hopkins medical center for adolescent health teenagers are at a stage in their life where they're invested in social connections and they want to separate from their parents so the entire cabin fever aspect of COVID is forcing them out. And I think overwhelmingly that is one of the main motivators for them leaving.
1: So what do you think is the best way to enforce, you know, wearing masks and making sure that teenagers are properly social distancing?
0: The way I think it needs to be enforced is, though this probably won't be the most effective, I think leaders in the local community amongst families, and generally just in the media need to set a good example. Because as much as we are teenagers and we are mature, we do tend to respond well to positive outside influences. And I don't think that our federal and state governments are willing to make it a mandatory mask mandate. So I feel as if that's one of the best ways that we're getting teens to put a mask on their face when they go outside.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think one of the biggest problems that we've seen is just the sheer lack of leadership from the federal government when it comes to wearing masks and enforcing social distancing.
3: I I completely agree with that. As we take a look at Canada, whose statistics are much lower, just over a hundred thousand cases and under 10,000 deaths. I mean, the the sheer numbers um, that the U.S. has are, you know, you know, twenty times higher in the amount of cases, and I think that is due to a lack of enforcement by the federal government, as you said, Perret. And you know, in Canada specifically, I've heard from uh, my friends who are from Canada that they are very strict on quarantine. If you come into the country, um, they will check on you. They will give you calls regularly to make sure that you are in fact staying at home, they'll come to your door, knock on your door, they will enforce it. America has lacked that enforcement. They say, please self quarantine, and they have nothing to back it up. And I think that is a huge failure on our part.
2: But it's also kind of like culture of American, of, of, of the American style of living. It's like you look at countries like South Korea, who have mandatory, like, you need to have this like contact tracing app that basically allows the government to track where you've been who you've been in contact with so they can make sure that you're notified if someone who has been infected has been in recent contact with you i don't think americans would shoot for that because americans are going to cry uh disruption of civil liberties when in fact it is just a step towards national health so i think i would also have to normalize the idea that we're kind of in this together and that you're going to have to relinquish some of your privacy if you want to mount uh, most effective response
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, in China, they have, you record your temperature every time you enter like a, a, government, a government building or a public area. And if you have a fever or you have a high temperature, they will take you and put you in quarantine, like right then and there. And so they were able to limit dramatically the amount of cases they had because they had this autor- authoritarian way of dealing with these issues. And obviously, that's just simply not feasible in a country like America.
0: And while we're on the topic of foreign nations and their response to COVID, I think it's important to look at Israel. So I heard from a family friend who lives in Israel that she, well, she was in quarantine after being exposed to COVID, and she decided to leave her apartment and go to the beach. And she gets a call from the government saying, we have eyes on you, please go back to your house. And that has helped significantly to allow Israel to remain viable in an economical sense, and as well as a social sense, because in Israel, schools are not necessarily closed on a state or national level. It's more town from what I've seen. And if a school happens to get an infection, then they will close down but the second that person is healthy and everyone else is confirmed as healthy they can go back but obviously in America no one's going to want the government calling them because like Ethan mentioned civil liberties are something that people are going to cry out for and i think an important thing to talk about from here is how does how does america look at other nations and adopt the measures that have been successful for them keeping civil liberties and violations let's call it in mind
1: let me just clarify one thing ben so the israeli government actually called your aunt to tell her to go back to your house and stay in quarantine
0: she was contacted in some way or form
3: yeah i've heard um from from a person who actually has experience in Israel that they they use drones. So they will, you know, if you are, they'll identify you and if you are not supposed to be out, then they will please ask you to, you know, go back to your house. It's, you know, they really are taking extreme measures, but I think that is what is needed as this is, as everybody calls it, a global pandemic and, you know, extreme actions are needed.
2: I think it's becoming increasingly more difficult to do that because you're seeing America have a higher what we call infectivity rate, which is basically the percent of tests that come back positive. So of the tested people, how many are how many of those are coming up positive? And you're seeing that number grow and grow every day to the point where contact tracing is becoming basically impossible, even with unlimited resources, because the way it works is that you have to track the person who's infected, all of their contacts, and then who they've been who they've been infected, who they've been in contact with. You have to trace all their connections. And just the branch just keeps growing and growing to the point where it's becoming unreasonable.
3: You know, I agree with that as well. Um, And specifically, uh, there's been numerous uh, COVID-19 tests that have been misleading. You know, some, almost 50%, are false negatives. And, you know, that's extremely misleading. It gives people a sense of security that they don't have it when, in fact, they actually might. And they could be asymptomatic, so they could go out in public and spread it even more. So I think it is, it's super dangerous and it is very hard to contain.
0: So I think we all agree that the American response to the coronavirus so far has been flawed in many senses, but I'd like to take a moment to focus in on how do we think the American government could take a step to improve if if contact tracing isn't going to work, and if government surveillance is going to be opposed on a wide scale,
3: the next question.
2: <laughs> well, I think a good place to spot, I think a good place to start would be to project an image of a, at the top of the American government level. Like, like Trump has only started recently wearing masks, and I think a national mask mandate, even if it would be unenforceable would still would still send a very strong message
1: do any of you know if there's if this is like constitutionally illegal to write an executive order declaring everyone wears masks
0: possibly the necessary and proper clause
1: yeah i i don't know if tr- i doubt that trump would be willing to do that but i think you know, that's certainly an option out there that would help things a lot
0: yes yeah, sadly mass have been politicized in a way that's concerning because it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you should be looking out for the health of yourself and your fellow Americans. And obviously there could have been better marketing strategies for the usage of masks because you have, in a sense, you want to make it appeal to the person who's going to be doing it rather than saying, oh, I'm going to be protecting others make it seem like, oh, I'm going to protect myself. And whether the American government has to exaggerate and make it seem deadly or not, I think that would help to encourage people. Because usually, if you don't care about the well-being of society, you're at least going to care if you survive.
1: Yeah, and I think that goes back to the government's response to this whole pandemic. When you see the president and like the press secretary saying that, I'm not going to wear a mask, masks are optional, that sends a message to the American people that, you know, if our government leaders aren't doing that, then why should I?
0: There's absolutely that kind of role model behavior. And it also isn't encouraging, even if we did get a mandate from the government telling us to wear masks, it's discouraging to see even within the Trump administration, such discourse in regard to COVID. Some Like if you compare Dr. Fauci saying that there have been no talks of lessening COVID testing to Trump's statement that he's ordered less COVID testing, that kind of discontinuity doesn't really place faith in the people giving that order. And I think that would also work against a national mandate order.
3: I completely agree. I think there's such a divide in the federal government. And without this unity, I do not think that as a nation, we can come and, you know, even put up a battle against COVID-19. I mean, comparatively around the world, America has done the worst in, you know, in, in trying to combat this virus. And I think that is definitely due to just a lack of leadership, a lack of structure in the federal government and a lack of, you know, just taking command um, of this issue.
0: So that poses the question, if not the government, who is going to act as a role model? Who is going to act as a force to try and better the situation of COVID in America?
3: I think that's where outstanding citizens of America have to rise up and seize this opportunity and say, for the greater good of humanity, for the greater good of America, as a United Nation, we have to come together and put aside our personal, you know, just beliefs and wants and desires and say, you know, what can we do for our country? As, you know, our, is pre- one of the greatest, or a great president once said, uh, John F. Kennedy, he said, not, do not ask uh, what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And I think we have to embody that quote and that mindset in order to combat this virus.
0: So moving on from individual and governmental responses, how is reopening going to look for the economy and business owners?
1: The main problem that's been playing out is one of economy versus public safety. So we know that individual lives are of the utmost important, but the economy has been hit dramatically by this coronavirus, and it's obviously something many people are concerned about. According to a Goldman Sachs study, they predicted that the U.S. economy could shrink by 24% in the second quarter of 2020. And we've seen the mass unemployment numbers go up and up every single quarter. And so, for business owners in particular, it's a really frightening scenario right now.
2: Yeah, you are correct that the plight of the small business is indeed frightening uh, during this pandemic, but you also have to wonder, if we reopen too hastily, uh, are you kind of stealing from Piper to pay Paul in the sense that you're going, if we have a second surge, will that second surge be more deadly economically to these small businesses than just remaining in quarantine, remaining closed right now, And trying to have the government step in more with like subsidies and in order to support these small businesses during this quarantine, rather than trying to get them back to normalcy too early.
1: Right. I mean, the dangers with fully reopening is what if there is a second wave that comes back? Does that mean that all the work that we've done for the past six months or so, we have to restart all of that again? And so that sets businesses back even further than they were right now.
0: But at the same time, I worry, well, building off your point, Britt, I think that reclosing and in a second surge, which is most likely going to happen, being that current response to COVID is not very efficient, nor is it effective. I think that constantly reopening and closing, is going to worry a lot of people financially because they won't know where they stand. To see your stocks going up during a reopening, then immediately plummeting to below where they were in the right before. Just seeing, the, seeing your monetary value fluctuating in that manner is discouraging for a lot of people. And I think that could be a point of concern with having second surges.
3: I agree. And I just want to bring up another point. I think, you know, small private owned businesses, um, they're extremely fearful of their economic status and the federal government has done pretty much nothing to sort of comfort them in this, uh, in this frightful state, they have not taken proper precautions and steps in order to uplift the, the economy, stimulate it um, as much as they should have. Um, and that, again, goes back to the lack of leadership and the, the division in the federal government. And I think that's extremely hard on these small business owners as you know they're looking for guidance and support from the federal government, but they're receiving virtually none.
1: Yeah, I can speak on the small business perspective because my parents own a Thai restaurant. And so it's obviously been very difficult for us these past couple months. And we've been lucky enough to still have, you know, to-go business, takeout and delivery. So we're still able to, you know, pay our rent and continue. But there's a lot of restaurants and small businesses that have been forced to shut down completely. And, you know, recently I went out to the barber for the first time in like, what, four months and that was definitely an interesting experience but you know it was so sad to see um the owner there talking about how he had like no customers at all and he was struggling to pay the rent every month and keep his business afloat And i think that's something that so many business owners across this country are dealing with and going back to the government response um, for small businesses yes where they have the paycheck protection program but so many small businesses are not able to capitalize off that. They aren't getting approved for those loans. And I saw this thing out, uh, that an article came out this morning, actually, talking about how a lot of those funds were actually being directed to companies under Donald Trump and Kanye West's name. And so that shows that you know some of this money isn't really going to where it needs to go. And that's incredibly dangerous.
0: Absolutely, and I think it's difficult for the federal government to, with all of the money it's been giving out to small businesses, I worry that there's a sense of overwhelm within the bureaucracy, because if you're receiving grant applications from millions upon millions of businesses, how are you realistically going to be able to get these in a time? Back to them in a timely manner before they close, because, like you were saying, Prit, a lot of things are closing, and generally the workplace is becoming a different plate, a different environment than it was before.
3: I I agree, and I think that you know it's it's been multiple months of just you know economic flight for these these business owners, and even if it and if it continues at this rate. I don't think there's gonna be much of a business for these, um, for these owners to come back to and just try to revive. So it puts America and the economy in a very difficult position. Um, you know, it's, it, it really comes down to, as was said earlier, the economy and these, these, these struggling business owners versus, you know, human lives, And it's very difficult when you look at both sides um, of the story and does anybody have any suggestions on you know what we what we can do
2: well i think there's one thing for sure that needs to happen and that the reopening needs to be uh have it needs to happen all together okay because although we are 50 states we are one country and if vermont's bars which as of this recording vermont has actually started to have a very uh their numbers have starting to fly out. again that may change by the time you hear this but If Vermont's bars start to open and then people from the surrounding states start to flood in carrying the coronavirus into those businesses, you're going to bring Vermont back to square one. So I think that that's where the federal government really needs to step in in how they advise states on their plans for reopening. Because if we don't really get it right the first time, the pain these small businesses are feeling is only going to multiply.
0: So assuming that we do start to improve, which I obviously hope we do for the sake of just the country as a whole how does the workplace change permanently because of covid and how will certain industries such as the restaurant industry adapt to this permanently because obviously people are going to be skeptical of going into restaurants people's carrying capacity is going to be lessened and just the digital environment is becoming the norm. So how do you guys think that will impact America in the long run?
3: I mean, I I think it's going to have a great impact. Just like polio, people were fearful of going into a swimming pool. And I think that same mindset is going to be, um, you know, stuck with uh, in Americans for for a while after this. I think... You know, people are always going to be washing their hands. They're very conscious about health. Before, you would sit at a... And now you are very aware of what the the potential, you know, effects could be and could lead to. And I think specifically, if you want to eat in at a restaurant, especially indoors, you are going to be wary because it's become our culture now. It, you know take out at the very at the, at the very max almost you know everybody is cooking at home they're afraid to go out and I don't think that's going to go away once COVID goes away. But as we're
0: seeing a lot of people are disregarding such change like people we, we're seeing a of people is protesting the uses of, ma- of masks protesting some of the new institutions that businesses and companies have implemented from covid you know i've i've seen thousands or not thousands i've seen several videos of people sitting down on the floor in businesses and saying like covid is just not an issue and i don't think we have the sense of unity that there might have been during the polio pandemic
2: that's true when people are still anti-vax today
1: Right. I mean, going back to the restaurant um, aspect. So I, I was out to dinner, um, I think yesterday with my parents and I was dining indoors. And there was a lot of people in the restaurant and they a lot of restaurants have done a good job with social distancing, keeping the tables apart and everything. But still, there's a lot of people packed into one small room especially if this is actually an airborne disease that can create a lot of risks. Um, I've also seen restaurants, you know, go against these safety guidelines, not having proper hand sanitizers out or accepting really large groups of people that they're technically not supposed to be accepting. You know, I saw a party of like 10 people dining together, which is against goes against the regulations. So I think a lot of these restaurants, they may not, be taking these guidelines as seriously as they should be, and that's a huge problem.
3: I agree that's a huge problem, and I think uh, one of the reasons for this is because I don't think the average person knows the other side of the story, right? Personally, my dad is a doctor, and he brings home tales from the hospital that are extremely frightening. You know it is chaos in the medical you know field and you know everybody is trying to put as much equipment and distance between you know infected patients as possible and with the masks and the mask shortage and you know having to reuse your m95 which is unheard of before this pandemic i think that it most people don't know that side of the story which is why they are become lackadaisical uh, to most of the regulations Including businesses, because they only feel the economic stress.
0: Going off of that, and just businesses in general, Jet, I think there is a bit of a benefit to COVID. Because no longer are you flying people out to California from the East Coast to go to conferences. Most of them are becoming digital. And I think that digital mindset is going to be it's going to be integrated into the mindset of corporate Organizations for not just the upcoming months, years, whatever it may be for normalcy to be returned, but permanently because it, it's convenient to have all of your pawns on the same chessboard rather than having to move them from one to another.
1: Right, that's a really good point, actually. The fact that... Large corporations can now conduct meetings all virtually and people can actually work from home and get the same amount of work done as if they were in an office. Um, When we look at restaurants, when I was out dining, a lot of these restaurants, they actually have these QR codes um, taped to the table and you can hover your phone over them and they can bring up a menu where you can order online through the menu. And that reduces interactions between yourself and the waiter. And also when you pay, they'll bring over a bill with a QR code, which you can scan and you can check out online, putting your credit card through your phone, zero contact. And obviously that helps a lot with efficiency throughout the restaurant. So that can be a huge benefit also.
3: Absolutely. I think uh, one of the positives, although there are a few, you know, digital evolution in our country, you know, has occurred. And I think it is for the better, um, for the better.
1: Yeah, I mean, in schools in particular, we went through online distance learning and that was a big adjustment for us, but for teachers especially who may not be super familiar with this technology, they had a huge job ahead of themselves in terms of adjusting and adapting to the new learning environment. Um, We saw teachers learning how to record their screens for the first time to produce videos on the computer. to work Google Meets and stuff like that. And so that can definitely be a huge positive going towards going moving forwards in the future, where you have maybe if a teacher's absent, they can record videos online from their home and send them to the students. And I think this could really help bolster education going forward.
2: I agree that, ha- that there has been some like you know benefit, beneficial technologies produced from COVID-19. Like for example, like the QR codes that you use and that you mentioned in the restaurant. But like how much of this do you think is more so just them asking acting out of necessity more so than that being the preferred way of doing business. It's like Zoom always existed, but businesses liked to meet in person instead because that was just, you know, it might be more personal that way. It might be more preferred that way. So like how much do you think of this like revolution? How much will it carry over once like a vaccine is discovered?
1: I don't imagine that companies are going to be conducting all of their meetings through Zoom, obviously. Um in-person interviews and meetings are ob- always superior, but I think it opens a lot of doors to new opportunities where people may not have been familiar with the technology and how to use it. Yeah. And so it just provides a good second option if it's needed. Yeah.
0: Like people never, people never thought that the TV would become a mass form of media, and yet people use it today for their news. It's the same kind of argument technological advancements will, and just general mass changes, will retain to a decent extent in the recovery from COVID. And obviously, like Pert was mentioning, and as you mentioned, Ethan, in-person meetings for corporations are important because it does have that personal aspect. But I think more of the worker bee aspect will definitely be moved to an online format.
1: Yeah, one concern I have though, is that with the move to technology, especially um, in the COVID era, how are workers gonna be affected by this? You know, yesterday I was walking through a CVS and in the West Hartford Center, and there was no one at the front counter. It was all the self checkout machines. And so there was probably only one person in the store walking around and making sure everything was okay but if we move to this new technological reality how are these low paying minimum wage workers how will they be affected by this you know
3: that is very interesting as well because you know with the unemployment rate so high if you were laid off of work as a minimum wage worker at a as you said a cvs or a restaurant, um, you know. I know uh, a food store such as Whole Foods. They laid off, you know, about fifty percent of uh, of their workers because they couldn't have that many people in the store. I think you are in a, a dangerous position if you have nobody who can support you financially. Not a parent, you know, not a, um, a fiance or any anybody who can support you. I think you are in a difficult situation. And again, I think that goes back to the lack of governmental uh government support and i think that's a failure on their part to support these people who are in dire need it is after all a pandemic and desperate actions are need or needed to be taken
0: to build off of what you're saying jet i think that the requirements for being a minimum wage worker will have to increase to an extent and a decent amount of change will be needed Because as things become more independent, such as self-checkout, you are putting people out of the market in those industries. So maybe instead of just learning how to do a cash register, maybe you learn how to do coding to make the registers more effective and more user-friendly. I think that people are going to have to learn to be more tech-savvy because there's no other way to be viable in the COVID economy or there are limited other ways
1: yeah uh, to draw historical comparison back in the great recession in 2008 we saw millions of jobs being lost and when barack obama came into office he did a lot to create new jobs and bring people back into the workforce But we saw that so many of those jobs were lower paying jobs when the jobs lost were sort of middle-class workers and so people going into the workforce were met with lower paying salaries and just an overall lower quality of life
0: well speaking of low-wage workers we should talk about how teenagers who happen to be a majority of that workforce are going to be impacted by current plans to reopen school.
1: Yeah, so recently, Tom Moore actually came out with his plan for school reopenings. And basically, we're going to have block scheduling and limited school hours. So it's only going to be three to four hours a day of class. And obviously, we're all going to be following social distancing, wearing masks and stuff like that. Um, There will also be an option for remote learning for people who may not feel comfortable returning or may have health concerns um, that they need to tend for. Um, But what do you guys think about, um, you know, shorter days and this block scheduling and how that will affect our learning ability?
3: I personally, um, those are all, you know, important, you know, questions and we should definitely discuss those, but I just want to target one quick thing. I think it's not feasible at this point that we are gonna go back to school. Now, this may be you know, out there, but what happens when somebody gets sick? How are we gonna keep track of who they've been in contact with? We're going to multiple different classes. You know, it's not like we're in elementary school and we have one class throughout the entire day, and we are gonna be in contact with numerous people. Let's say one person gets sick, right? How are you gonna quarantine them and find all the people they've been in contact with. What happens when another person gets sick? Let's say five people get sick. I think it's gonna ultimately end with the school closing down again. And I think it is a bit hasty for Tom Moore to come out with an announcement saying that we are going to, you know, have all of these, I don't know.
0: I think it is important to touch upon the dangers of that. I think that there will have to be some kind of contact tracing, whether it just be general temperature checks or having faith within the students and their families to keep themselves home when they show symptoms. But back to the point that Pert was making, just for the sake of time, since I think we're running a bit short here, when we do reopen, I think the effects of having shorter days and, Less classes in a day is going to be beneficial, but also detrimental in certain ways, because from what I've been made aware, we are going to have less classes for less time during the day. But classes themselves are going to be longer as blocks than they would have been, let's say, last year in high school. And I feel as if that mimics more of what college would be like and generally that involves more personal time management because you aren't having classes all day as we found with digital learning and that much of it i think is beneficial and does help you train for your college experience assuming that it remains the same in covid well everyone as you can evidently see The issues that are presented by reopening, whether it be on an economic or governmental or personal level, are big issues that are plaguing our society today. And we hope that we were able to provide a meaningful discussion that stimulates thought within you and your close friends. And we'd like to thank you for tuning into our first episode, and we look forward to hearing you tune into the next one. And everyone. Please, 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 please wear masks,
2: masks. I love them. That,
1: that was terrible. Goodbye.